listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome inside to another episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest that we've been a long time in the making. We have Aaron Connor of Cirque du Soleil. Aaron, welcome in. Thanks, Chase, for having me. All right. So we recorded this episode about um, almost two years ago now when this podcast first started. And due to technical difficulties, we uh, couldn't get it off the ground. But now that we have you again, you know, why don't you introduce yourself and who you are and uh, kind of what you do? Great. Um, so I'm Erin Connor. I'm originally from Indiana, where I went to PT school. Um, and I've kind of been moving around in the world of sports and performance physical therapy um, through residency in Houston to um, fellowship at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. Uh, did a quick stint in the WNBA and now ended up um, with Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas. Okay, so kind of bring us back. You know, when you finished PT school, what made you want to do residency? And then what made you want to do the residency um, in Houston in particular? So finishing up PT school um, and being a college athlete, that had always been the reason why I wanted to be a physical therapist was to work with people that are out of their sport, out of their uh, discipline and working them back into what they love to do. So I wanted to do a residency in sports to get me a little bit more mentorship and to learn a little bit more of the sports side of things. I think the beautiful thing about physical therapy is you graduate a generalist and there's so many things you can do with your degree, but I wanted to really find my niche of what I wanted to do. And and I figured residency was the best way to feel prepared to do that. Um, What drew me to Memorial Hermann was that it offered high school coverage, college coverage, a little bit of pro coverage, and special events. So I really love that Memorial Hermann down in Houston had a really wide variety. And it's also a cohort style residency program. Um, I think this year they're up to, I think, 15 residents between their orthopedic and sports curriculum. Um, and so it's a really great transition out of PT school where you still have um, a group of people that are learning with you and you can rely on for, you know, um, study buddies, but also just, you know, emotional and social support uh, through residency. So that's what drew me to Memorial Hermann. And, um, you know, those p- people have been great mentors throughout my career um, since I left as well. Gotcha. And so what are some things that you felt like, you know, obviously you learned that di- you have didactics and mentorships, but what are some things that you think um, in residency kind of help propel you forward further on into your career? For residency, I think one of the greatest components of a sports residency program is getting immersive experiences in training rooms. So I had been in training rooms as an athlete and kind of seen just like the front facing side. Um, But in residency, you really get to be involved with a training room from the other side of things to see the collaboration between athletic trainers and sport coaches and strength and conditioning coaches how do they communicate with their physicians and their orthopedics um, and and then how they present that information to their athletes and back to the coaches. So I really loved um, that aspect of it and 
the amount of collaboration you learn, it's, it's more like the soft skills that you get exposed to in residency. And I think that, um, being around a great group of people like that skill set has transcended throughout each of the different um, career moves I've made is being able to collaborate and listen um, to the other professionals that all play a role in your athletes well-being. Yeah, I think that advice kind of transitions you um, to kind of like your next step. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, that um, kind of how you got or what made you want to do a fellowship and then kind of why Wake Forest Fellowship in particular. Mm hmm. Um, so I actually had applied to Wake Forest Fellowship like right before COVID all happened. Um, and so there were some glitches with uh, me going out there and interviewing and COVID. Um, but I always kind of had it in the back of my head. So I, I stayed with Memorial Herman and worked as a clinician and helped a little bit in their residency program. Um, and then a year passed and I was like, you know, I still really miss um, being in a training room rather than just a clinic. And I think... Um, well, clinic life is great. There's, there's a component of like, when you're in a training room, you have all of those, um, interprofessional collaboration built in, um, being in the same room as our athletic trainers, as our sports psychologists, as our dietitians, as our coaches, I really loved that component. Um, so that kind of drove me to go back into fellowship. Um, and I really love that Wake Forest program is you're the only physical therapy fellow but you coincide with their sports medicine fellows on the um, MD side. So I had two people that were in um, a family medicine fellowship and two people that were in the orthopedic, um, more like surgical fellowship. And so our, our fellowships all kind of coincided and we got to experience sports medicine at Wake Forest together. And what was really fun for me that I actually was another kind of passion I found while I was there was that I really love teaching. Um, and so we got to kind of, I got to teach some med students and then they got to teach me. And so there was a lot of interdisciplinary lectures that happened at Wake Forest. And I really enjoyed that component. And um, I think they just have a really great community there of people that no one has a big head. Um, so it was really easy to learn alongside um, other fellows as well um, at Wake Forest. Right. And so obviously like the, the fellowship at Wake Forest is like a D1 sports um, focus, right? Um, mm -hmm. So kind of tell us a little bit more about some things that, you know, made that stand out compared to like your time in residency. Like what did they go more in depth on that you think, you know, kind of help propel your, propel you into your career? Yeah. So with, with residency, I think we were maybe getting 10 to 20 hours a week between high school and college and then moving into fellowship pretty much you are at a clinic to help support your salary. So I was seeing, you know, high school athletes, weekend warriors, 15 to 20 hours a week at a clinic, but the core of my life, I was at Wake Forest. Um, and that helps you really integrate into the team more. I got to spend pretty much every day at football practice, at basketball practice across the different seasons. Um, so you get to be a way more immersed experience within the, the D1 setting. Um, what that also gave me the opportunity to do is figure out how to really return someone to sport from beginning to end within the D1 setting. So at Wake Forest, you don't have to leave and go to an outpatient clinic for your therapy. Um, we would usually split, let's say a soccer ACL, the athletic trainer would see them two to three times a week. I would see them two to three times a week. 
Um, and then depending on where they were in their rehab process, we were integrating them into the strength and conditioning setting. What part of practice could they do? Um, so being able to have those conversations and be almost um, kind of take the co-lead with the athletic trainer for that team of how to integrate them back into their sport. Um, and they do that really seamlessly at Wake Forest. Um, so it was a really great experience. Um, we also got the opportunity to travel. So I think if you are someone that's interested in the college or professional setting for sports, um, you get a taste of what traveling with a team is like. So learning about, you know, their schedule and their bedtimes and their meal times um, and what treatment may look like on the road versus um, when you are at your home base. And the other really important thing I think in the setting is learning what EAPs look like when you're away and being able to have those conversations when you get to a facility and making a contact with the other team's athletic trainer. Where is your x-ray machine? Where is your ambulance going to be during this? Um, you know, if we need to, like, what hospital are we taking your athletes to? Being able to have those medical meetings with the other providers, um, I think, is a really good experience that, again, is, is something that transcends out of the D1 fellowship and is a really important skill set to have um, if you're in a, in a sports setting to any extent like that. Yeah, I think um, what you talked about is, like, obviously the interprofessional collaboration, you know, from rehab to all the way to, you know, on-field coverage. Um, so. I want to talk a little bit more about kind of what makes like that communication between the strength coach, the sports coaches, the athletic trainers, you know, the uh, dietitians, what makes that communication um, more seamless? So that way, when you're all having hands on the one particular athlete, what makes it easiest so that everyone is on the same page for that person? I think the, the biggest thing that you can do is you can never over communicate. Um, and, I love this. Our, our football coach at Wake Forest would always say this, um, but the best ability is availability. So to be present and available all the time um, as you as best as you can for your athletes. So being able to, yes, do your part in care, but um, to check base um, as often as possible with the athletic trainer, with the sport coach, with the strength coach. And if you have the time in your schedule to go be present for those things, um, that makes all the difference because those, those casual communication moments um, are almost more beneficial, in my opinion, than like, you know, your formal, I'm writing up my progress note of how this athlete is doing. Um, but to really see them on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you can, you know, schedule a time of, hey, like, I really would like to be there and watch what you're going to do with her for her first like touch practice for soccer. What does that look like? And being able to see it, um, I think is really important if you have the ability to do that. Um, but if again, you know, we also live realistic lives and have a, a bunch of people we have to worry about. So it doesn't always happen. Um, but that's, what's great about like, hey, can you take a video of what you're going to do? And, you know, the next time we touch base in person, like I want to see it or, you know, the athlete will take their videos on their phone and say, hey, this is what I did in the weight room yesterday. And I can be like, wow, that looks great. So um, I think technology also has helped us to, to be more cohesive as a, as a medical team. And then just to, you know, always document. So if you don't have time to to have a face-to-face -face or a phone call um, that you can at least like read of like, oh, okay, I know what they're doing in that component. Um, something I think that we kind of were implementing, this came from 
working at a sniff actually back in PT school is we would have care meetings where the OT, the PT, the social worker, the nursing staff, everybody would sit down and say, hey, where is this person at? How close are we to discharge? What are the goals we need to be focusing on right now? Even though that came from like that acute care type setting, like you can still have those same kind of conversations um, in the sports setting as well. And I think almost like divvying up goals where, okay, well, we really need to work on the last bit of quad strength. Um, we really need to, you know, initiate some um, contact and some plyometrics and being able to divvy up goals in that way um, is was really beneficial as well. Gotcha. I think that's a, you know, a great and very thorough answer on kind of how to make sure that interprofessional communication is uh, in top, tip top shape. So after you finished Wake Forest uh, Fellowship, uh, you said that you had a time, some time in the w- WNBA. Tell us a little bit more about kind of how that came along and, you know, your experience um, working with the Las Vegas Aces. Yeah. So um, it was actually a connection I made at CSM was what got me um, the interview with the Aces. So little plug there. It's a great place to network and just meet people. And essentially I had, I think I reached out to Chelsea Ortega, who was their prior physical therapist. Um, and just said more like, Hey, I want to meet you and like hear about your experiences. Like I was just more seeking out mentorship. Um, and then she said, you know, I'm actually stepping away from the aces. I want to stay in LA. Um, so my position's open if you want me to like put your name in the basket. So I said, sure. And, um, got an interview and was lucky enough to, to land the gig. Um, again, very similar to college sports. I think it was a, an easy transition in that aspect. Um, and then you, I, of course, professional, you have a little bit more business component that you have to deal with. And then being in the WNBA, it's, it's also a little bit of the, the short staff component that you have to deal with. So um, coming from Wake Forest Power 5 school where you have almost unlimited resources, um, you have to figure out how to get them the same care and the same level of, of expertise every day, but with a, a smaller group of people behind supporting you. So different challenges arose, and but um, it was still a really great opportunity for me, and it was really cool to get to be a part of the WNBA. Yeah, and especially uh, you guys winning another championship doesn't definitely does not hurt. You know, a good way to end that season. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was pretty lucky, and I mean the the athletes I got to work with were beyond amazing um, athletes and just people. So they definitely deserved to to get the championship at the end of the year, and I was really happy to get to celebrate with them. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your role now with Cirque du Soleil. Um, we talked a little bit pre-show. We've had uh, Sam Oft who works at or has worked at Cirque du Soleil here in Orlando. Um, previously. So tell us a little bit more about what you do there and uh, kind of your experiences so far. Yeah. So Cirque du Soleil is a a really unique opportunity. And when I had saw the job opening, I was like, you know, that sounds interesting. Um, And they, they were allowed me a shadow while I was applying. And when I was there, I was just like, wow, this is a college training room, just a little different, just a different type of athlete. Um, so it felt very familiar. It felt very homey to me as far as how they operate. Um, but so with Cirque du Soleil, we have what we call performance medicine team. So that's instead of athletic training or sports medicine, it's our performance medicine department. And being in Las Vegas, we have six residency shows. So pretty much shows that have a permanent home in the casinos of Las Vegas. 
and they will perform, I think, up to 480 shows a year. So that's like about two shows a night, five days a week for most of the year. Um, so these are athletes that are really, really busy and that, you know, deal with a lot of overuse injuries um, just from that sheer volume alone. Um, but we have a team of, I believe, about 18 athletic trainers or physical therapists that work in Las Vegas and cover those six residency shows. So I am have a home-based show, and it's me and two other athletic trainers that I get to work alongside with. And then, you know, if you are sick or have family stuff, then we can kind of shift over between the staff that's here in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, so it's been pretty fun. Very cool. Um, so one of the points I talked about in an earlier podcast with Sam is, uh, you know, the difference between fields and, you know, performing athletes. So obviously you worked, you know, at Wake Forest and then in the WNBA. So basketball, football, you know, your typical you know, contact injuries that you might expect. So what are some differences you've noticed between working with, you know, performing athletes who have, you know, such a high volume, but, you know, not necessarily too much contact person to person intentionally um, versus working with field athletes such as a football player or soccer player? Yeah. Um, so kind of like I touched on, it's, there are a lot of overuse stuff that we deal with on the day to day. Same kind of thing. Patellar tendonitis is going to pop up. Um, you know, hip instability is going to flare up, low back instability. So there's things that I think are definitely really similar. Of course, like our contact injuries maybe are less um, frequent, but then there's also, you know, every once in a while you can have some really dangerous injuries. So um, I think in Cirque du Soleil, they take um, emergency medicine with a lot of gravity because what they are doing is so dangerous and you know, there's always a chance for something really scary to happen. Um, so while the day-to-day is um, a lot of overuse injuries, um, just because they are performing so consistently throughout the year, um, there's always that idea that you have to be prepared for the worst case scenario as well. Gotcha. And now when you're dealing with these like day-to-day injuries, are you kind of just giving them something that kind of holds them over until the next day? Or how do you kind of manage it because, you know, if you're saying they're performing year long, you know, if an injury starts, the, you know, we're in January now, so the beginning of the year and they got to go until December, how do you kind of manage that so they can get through, but then also kind of treat it in the long term so it doesn't linger for, you know, years on end? Yeah, so I think that's a one kind of culture shift that I'm getting used to in this set- setting is that there's not a season that you have to push through like, oh, can I make it till, you know, the end of basketball season in March? Um, so the coaches that we have, our artist coaches, as well as the the artists, the performers themselves have a little different attitude when it comes to pain and overuse injuries and stuff like that. Um, so there's no harm for them to sit out for a day or sit out for a week if they need that relative rest. Um, there's a little bit less pressure from like, oh, well, we're, you know, we're playing a really big game next week. Do you think they're going to be able to do it? There's not that same, I guess, insistency that, you know, this next performance is really big. So I think it gives us a little bit healthier perspective of, you know, if we need to take a week off to let whatever is going on settle down and, you know, if they need an injection or need to just, you know, focus on their strengthening exercises for a little bit, there's a lot less pressure on that end, which is kind of nice. Um, but definitely just like a different mindset than working in 
in a strict setting where there's a, a season that you're pushing through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a more kind of broad question for you. Um, you know, throughout your time in PT school, residency, fellowship, and then, you know, even into your professional career, um, what makes a good sports PT to you? Um, you've been around a bunch of good sports clinicians throughout your time, I'm sure. Um, so what's something that makes them stand out, something that you kind of want to take into your own career and uh, kind of make a part of your own practice? Yeah, I think the one thing that I've always looked up to in other clinicians that I want to embody for myself is a little bit of that selfless behavior that I see, whether it be you are being selfless for your patients, for your athletes, or you're being selfless for those that you're mentoring. Um, But when it comes down to it, like I want to be a really good PT and I want to be knowledgeable and I want to be available um, when people have questions. So I think the other thing that I really loved about being part of a residency and fellowship is their commitment to evidence-based practice and to staying on top of current research. I think that can be hard without having a community like residency or fellowship to back you up. Um, And that's why I think like AASPT has done a great job of creating events and virtual avenues for people to have those conversations and stay up to date and learn about new research. Um, But I think that's something that I am continuously working on and trying to build a community of people here in Vegas that have those same values of putting in the work to be a good therapist and, and be on top of new research and being able to give the best quality care to your patients. Yeah, absolutely. That was actually kind of, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to ask, you know, how you kind of stay involved now that you're no longer in those, you know, dedicated learning environments, you know, it's kind of up, you know, basically up to you now kind of keep on top of it. But, you know, that's a great answer. I think the um, AASPT does a great job of kind of doing something monthly to kind of keep you involved and kind of keep you uh, learning. Um, So, you know, throughout your time in fellowship and then in working in professional sports, um, you know, how do you kind of keep a a good like work life balance? Because I'm sure it gets a little crazy and I'm sure it might get overwhelming, but how do you kind of make sure that you kind of stay, um, like you said, available for your patients, but also kind of take care of yourself so that you can stay available for your patients long-term? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit of a workaholic, so it's definitely something that I struggle with. Um, but I think the more I've been out in practice, the more I have realized, you know, it's healthy to have goals outside of physical therapy and to set, you know, intentions for your year. One thing that we did in residency was we created vision slides um, and it was supposed to be, you know, my one-year plan and my, like my five-year plan. And they said half of your goals can be professional related, but you need to have the other half of your goals be nothing about physical therapy and about other things that fill your bucket at the end of the day. Um, And so that's something that I've always really strived for is what goals do I want to accomplish for myself personally? Um, And then remembering to kind of budget in time for that. So one of the greatest things I did that I was looking back was so smart, but I took a full month off. I budgeted my PTO and I took a full month off between residency and fellowship. Um, And that was a time where I was able to reset 
I went out, I did a ton of hiking and camping because I love that for me. I got to see my family. I got to see some friends. And then when I got back to Wake Forest, I was like, I love physical therapy. I'm ready to go. I was refreshed um, and I had a better mindset because I had taken that time for myself. Um, I think with sports, that can be really hard, um, especially when it's like that whole push through the end of the season mentality. Um, but as best as you can, when that season is over and you have time to get out and do something for you, um, trying to fight whatever workaholic tendencies you may have and really take that time for yourself is super important. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's great advice. Cause I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has some of those, uh, tendencies to kind of just push through until, until you can't anymore, but taking, you know, like you said, budgeting that time so that that way it doesn't happen and you can kind of get ahead of it and then, you know, kind of reinvigorate your love for what you do is super, super important. All right, Aaron, a couple more questions before we get you out of here. Um, kind of just walk, walk us through what it's like to be um, you, you know, day in the life of a uh, sports PT for Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. So we work kind of non-traditional hours. Um, so I'll work an eight hour shift, usually sometime between noon and midnight, five days a week. Um, so I guess tomorrow I'm going in at 1230 and we have some trainings that I have to supervise as far as um, our athletes will come in and do trapeze training or Russian swing training. So for their specific act in the show, and we supervise that from kind of the emergency medical standpoint. Um, intermittently, we'll have athletes that are coming in that are maybe out of the show for surgery or long term rehab. So I'll do their rehab sessions. And then closer to showtime, there's artists that are warming up for the show. Um, they have their strength conditioning programs that they do with our coach. So I'll maybe you know, watch those or, or do some show prep uh, rehab things, help people with their warm up. And then during the show, um, we cover a few acts stage side. There's kind of a risk stratification document that we use. So those that are more dangerous for the athletes that we need to be close to the stage, we'll cover stage side. And then um, during more of like the character animation clown parts, some low risk acts, we'll, we'll go back to our office and catch up on paperwork for the day. Um, so once the show's done and athletes are done for the day, then we get to go home. So it's a, a little bit shorter of a day, but it's uh, really enjoyable. Yeah, that's very cool. You know, very different than, uh, you know, your typical uh, field athlete, but I think still a very cool and unique uh, kind of day in life. Um, so you've had, you know, I think we've kind of talked about it in like three big phases, you know, your time in fellowship, your time in uh, professional basketball, and then kind of now. So kind of give us, you know, something that stands out in each of those phases, something that, you know, is super memorable to you. Yeah, I think residency and fellowship um, was such a good time of growth and like mentorship for me. And so what stands out from there is just like the people I met because there are people that I can still reach out to. Um, I still call Dexter Upton a lot and he knows that because um, he was my guy in, in a in residency. And so if I am, you know, having a hard case or have more of just like a professional life question, he's always there. So I think mentorship and the people I met really stand out for residency and fellowship. Um, the WNBA was so fun and so wild. Um, and what I loved about that is getting that opportunity to really see people at the top of their game and learn from the athletes. Um, 
so it was really unique for the WNBA for me was, you know, we had people like Chelsea Gray that have been in the league for quite a while and have been on different teams. And the amount that I can learn from watching her, um, how she plays, how she talks to her teammates, um, what she asks for when it comes to strength conditioning and physical therapy, I think that is really unique. So I really learned a lot from my athletes um, during that season. And then for the circus um, has been a really new experience for me. Um, and so what I'm kind of focusing on is it's okay to be outside of my comfort zone and to find the things that, you know, I've done before in my life that transcend into this setting. Um, so yeah, it's, it's completely new world of terminology and acts that I have to learn what their bodies need. Um, but there's still a lot of principles that come over from my time with basketball, with running, with football. Um, so it's, it's learning how to be uncomfortable and embracing new stuff and, and really learning that no matter where you go, PT is still PT. Um, and just how, what I know can apply to what I'm doing now. Gotcha. All right, Aaron, last question for you before we get you out of here. Um, and again, I'm super glad that we were able to kind of redo this. And now that you've had like lots of new experiences, this has been super great and informative. Um, do you have any advice for any aspiring sports PTs, you know, at any level and PT school, you know, early professionals, people that are kind of considering this as a career, what would you give them as advice? Um, I think the number one thing you can do in sports is network, whether that be finding a mentor that's doing what you want to do or finding, you know, potential job opportunities. I think reaching out to people and just seeing what their life is like. And that's why I love your podcast is because I think you've interviewed people that it gives it gives young PTs a really good glimpse into what is out there for our profession. Um, so I think that's really awesome. The other thing I think about is like, I've been a lot of places and the places I've been the most happy is, you know, find people that um, can vibe with you as far as your, um, what you like to do, their ethics when it comes to how we expect to treat our athletes. If you find a place that, you know, reflects your values, you're going to be happy. Um, so whether that be you in a private practice, in a hospital-based setting with a team, starting your own thing, um, find people that are going to like cheer you up and lift you up when you're feeling down and people that respect your boundaries and, and respect your values. Um, and I think that that's why I've been so many places. I've, I've, I've had good experiences. I've had not so good experiences. Um, but I think chasing after people that, um, that ha share the same value set is really important. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I don't think I could have, uh, you know, ended the podcast on a better note. Um, I think that's all great advice. Um, Aaron, again, again, appreciate your time and appreciate your experiences. Uh, do you have anything that you'd like to plug before we get you out of here? Um, not really, I think. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do love AASPT. I think that they're doing a great job connecting PTs. Um, and I am um, involved in mentorship in that aspect. So um, I think they have kind of a mentorship program where you can talk to you know, other people in the field. So if that's something you're interested in, like I'm always happy to, to talk to other PTs through AASPT um, and mentor that way. Perfect. Um, again, uh, I think that's all the questions I have for you today, Aaron. Um, but again, we really appreciate everything that you've given for us. 
uh, given to us. And uh, with that being said, this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Huge thank you to Aaron Connor of Cirque du Soleil, informally of Wake Forest D1 Sports Fellowship and the Las Vegas Aces for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. If you liked what you heard from today's guests or want to hear more episodes from future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. Oh.